0: Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware.
1: Hi, it's Martin here. Electronically yours as usual, as always. Today's guest, it's really amazing the people I get introduced to via this podcast who I never thought in a thousand years I'd ever meet. Today's guest is Matt Fink, Dr. Fink, uh, who was with Prince and the Revolution for 10 years. Uh, He's the guy dressed as a doctor. That's why he's called Dr Fink. Really interesting guy, played on an amazing number of some of his greatest records and played live on all his tours uh, in the eighties, basically. So we're talking about from controversy to through 1999, Purple Rain, around the world in the day, Parade, Sign of the Times, Love Sexy, Graffiti Bridge, Oh my God! some of my favorite i mean as far as I'm concerned, the peak of prince's output um he was basically performing with him all that time he's a super sweet guy uh really humble, love his take on the world and um here he is the doctor dr Fink. Thank you very much for doing this. I'm really uh, happy to meet you. And uh, having been a fan of the revolution since forever. um, Mm. And, um, I mean, I've just had a a, a major retrospective this afternoon. I've watched all the videos and everything. And, uh, oh, my God. That's my favorite Prince period, to be honest. The the kind of mid-80s period. uh, Particularly... Um, particularly, Parade, actually, which I think is just a work of magnificent genius. Yeah, oh, thanks. Yeah, Thank what's you. what's your favorite period of that? Uh, what's your favorite part of all that journey?
0: That's a tough one, but uh, um, I, I really liked, uh, you know, anything. During my tenure, of course, and, and I liked some of the stuff he did after my tenure, but uh, I, I really liked um, <clears throat> that that, like you said, the parade album and like uh, Around the World in the Day, that period, you know, Purple Rain is so really, of course, it's classic, yeah. um, but yeah, the creativity just kept going after that to new levels of, of um, creativity, so it was really, really fun to see him branch out into these other styles and vibes that he created
1: yeah i mean he was uh truly uh like the the, the king of he was more pop really in that period yeah i mean he's great pop time, singles yeah. and you know and even i mean obviously sign of the times and all that stuff we actually Herman 17 actually did a sign of the times cover which um, obviously isn't a patch on the original, but it's pretty interesting, I have to say.
0: Oh, wow. I'll have yeah. to hear that sometime. Yeah, it's on. It sounds I've, I've actually done, yeah. Go Sorry, go ahead. No, I've done, I've actually worked on, uh, I, another friend of mine here in the US did a single of Sign of the Times too that I helped him with too, a different take on it. The rap, he did a rap kind of thing. He's like a spoken right. word guy, but he's not like a like a traditional rap artist. He He's more theatrical and it's very, you know delivery is total diff- totally different than your average rap person but that was out like 10 years ago you know yeah yeah, or yeah. more
1: so when we did the, that yeah yeah presumably back in the day i mean uh you know obviously i'm i'm, I'm a massive prince fan um he he would he seemed to be a a, a a a a true truly amusing character to be around is that was that the the way it was
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he was uh like no other person i've ever known really i mean of course everybody's an individual but he it was very unique in his drive and ambition and the way that he went about creating the music and also um the way he would tap into band members too at times to try to get some ideas but for the most part it was it was all him i would say like really it was just he was in the studio being a whirling dervish you know the whole (laughs) time and uh of course Wendy and Lisa like they became more instrumental in the studio than the rest of us like on the parade album um they even contributed to sign of the times you know uh he used some material they worked on but um you know, he he would always have the band working on a few things here and there. You know, on every record, since when I, except for the first album, first two albums were all him actually. Right. But um, yeah, really, um, he just he just was a lot of fun. He, you know, he's very serious and very concentrated at rehearsals, but then afterwards, he he loved to you know let loose and have fun and joke around, and uh, his sense of humor was really hilarious. And I've always said this in other interviews that um, I miss his sense of humor. And I always felt he, once he got into film, that he should have done a, like a, a buddy picture with someone like Eddie Murphy or somebody, oh my you God. know what I mean? Yeah, Because Ed, Eddie was such a huge fan. He used to come to our shows all the time and actually come back to the dressing rooms before shows to hang out and go to the after parties and hang out with us and chat i had more than one conversation with eddie and uh <laughs> he, another you know brilliant mind so yeah i always felt he prince should have branched out into just act like being in a movie non-musical just being himself or being a character role being funny with somebody
1: yeah i agree I think that, that's
0: yeah, yeah. that's
1: probably a good idea. The um <coughs> yeah. so just going back to mountains for a second, which is my all time favourite prince track probably. Mm. Um mm. the textures, the keyboard textures on that are amazing. I think it's beautiful. I mean just the, the whole arrangement is beautiful. Did he listen to your ideas on these things or did he say, I want something that sounds like X and you came up with the idea or
0: how did it well, work? It's interesting you bring that one up. That that is also one of my favorite songs that the revolution did. But I was not instrumental in the writing of that one.
1: Boom. That was
0: yeah, I know. He but <laughs> but, you know, um and I'll say that the the song was written around that main chordal riff that you hear. Yeah. Waits, dat, 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 that's that yeah. thing. And that that was Lisa. You know, that's Lisa's Fairly. Lisa's Lisa's brilliant chordal mind that she has um a i learned tons from her i wish i'd learned more <laughs> uh, but you know you know and i i'm sure she got some things for me and prince got we all got things from each other because of the way we played and presented things but she in particular had had a theory chordal knowledge that is right. unbelievably uh diverse and f- fluent because you know, she grew up with uh, what was called the Wrecking Crew parents. You are familiar with the Wrecking really? Crew in yeah. LA oh. that, that that did that? Okay, so her father was part of the Wrecking Crew. No, as a per- as a percussionist, right? Oh, this is this was uh, yeah, this was uh, and and then and then um, Wendy's father, Mike Melvoin, was also part of the Wrecking Crew. So that's how they knew each other. So so Lisa's father and Wendy's father were working together. Ergo, that's how the two of them met as children growing up. And what's really funny that I, I saw for the first time late last year, somebody sent me a, a, a single of a song that Mike produced and wrote for the kids. And they had, they had, I can't remember if it was Wendy and Lisa were in this group or if it was just, Lisa and her sister and her brother I'm trying to remember who maybe Wendy was in that and Susanna. I'm not I, I'd have to go back and double check this and I and I can't remember the name of it now I have to go back <laughs> and refind it cuz I can't remember what it was I'm sorry but it's on YouTube somewhere right. and it's, a, it's actually the song and I think I don't know if they're in it but the song is there that with the with the the single album cover of the, the 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 kids sitting on there it was like a kids song so yeah that was a, a real wake up thing for me or like like a revelation it's a revelation for me because i never knew that about them yeah, yeah
1: well i mean it's a revelation for me i mean it all makes sense
0: yeah 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 but, yeah you know. yeah so they yeah they they grew up in the midst of some of the greatest musicians out in la you know they were exposed to that and their parents were constantly doing session work and I'm cool. sure they were bringing some of that work home and the kids were probably going into the studio occasionally to observe and who knows how that went down. But, you know, and then Lisa's younger brother, David was instrumental in the song around the world in the day. Right. And, you know, co-wrote that. So, you know, you've got all these influences that came in from the, the, what I like to call the LA contingency, you know, Wendy and Lisa, whereas with, with me, it was myself, Bobby, and Mark Brown from the Minneapolis side yeah yeah and uh, so
1: so yeah. you were you worked with um, the time as well right
0: i just did a little bit of keyboard work for their first album that's all as right. a session player i didn't really work with them extensively right but uh yeah
1: okay and you're you right growing up then tell me about growing up where did you where was your hometown
0: okay so uh i grew up in a suburb uh, Minneapolis called St. Louis Park which was you know not more than a 10-15 minute drive from the center of the city you know what you'd like to call it the early post-war inner ring suburbs yeah, yeah, of any yeah. given the American city what they would call it, as they were being built and expanding into these little they were building all these little tract houses for all the veterans that you know needed to live somewhere and raise families and we all had these these cute little houses getting built all over that would you know cost about fifteen thousand dollars to build and buy in those days so uh i was born in 58 and we were in one of these first houses my parents bought it brand new i know it cost them about 15k the mortgage for that and then about eight years later they built another house maybe two miles from that one a little bit bigger house bigger you know and then I stayed there from the time I was eight till I moved out, and um, and I and then Bobby Z, the drummer, he knew uh, his parents knew my parents. That's how we met as young kids too, because they were they were working on occasional fundraising events for the locally, uh, the local um, this one hospital called Mount Sinai Hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was yeah, and and so they were doing fundraising events, and I would go you know my mom would I would tag along with her to go over to Bobby's house and hang out while her and his mother worked out a skit or did something and I know at one of these events Bobby's father and my father were the MCs at the event and my mom and his mom and another woman dressed up like French maids and did a cute little skit on stage which I have a picture of Bobby found it somewhere a few years ago and sent me this picture of of uh our, our mothers and these french maid outfits i was like oh my that's, god uh, that's is
1: disturbing, yeah
0: that's crazy <laughs> you know <laughs> and this is long about probably like 1966 five somewhere in there so uh yeah we both uh, went to the same high school bobby and i although he was two years ahead of me so by the time i was in my 10th grade he was already a senior and about to graduate and and we were both paying attention to each other's musical endeavors, you know, the bands that we were playing oh, in and right. all that stuff. So uh, fast forward to 77, I'm, I'm out of high school by then. I was out of high school in 76. And um, I was playing in a local group, you know, touring around the Midwest cover band. And he comes out to one of our gigs to play me Prince's demo tape. Oh, yeah. Shit. He took me out to the car. Took me out to the car, and he said, "Matt, I want you to hear this artist that uh, I'm, I'm. I've been working with the people help trying to help him get a record deal because Bobby was working for Owen Husney at the time as sort of a runner, assistant kind of guy, you know. And, and Owen, you know, grew up playing with Bobby's older brother, David Z, David Rifkin. So that's how they all knew each other. And long story short." I'm listening to this this tape of songs that were done by B- Bobby's brother producing with Prince uh, at Sound 80 Studios here in Minneapolis. Same place where the song Funky Town was recorded by the way. Yeah, Lip Sync. They uh, so you
1: did some work with Yeah, Lip
0: Sync. Yeah. Yeah, I did a little bit of session work for them, you know, once I was in Prince, the uh, Stevie Greenberg brought me in to play on one of the albums Lip Sync for. Anyway, uh regardless of that, um so I I said, wow, this is a this is, sounds great. And I said, who's the band? And he goes, it's not a band. I go, what do you mean it's not a band? <laughs> he goes, he goes, he goes, this one guy in the studio playing all the instruments, singing and wow. performing. It's all him. It's all him. And he's and he's your age, he said to me. I said, and at that time I was like 19 or something like that. Wow. I go, Prince. I go, this is Prince, you said his name? He goes, yeah. His artist—is that his real name? <laughs> yes, it's his real name. I go, what's his full name? He goes, he goes, Prince Rogers Nelson. I go, that's really an interesting name. Why? Why would they name him Prince? I've never heard anybody name Prince. That's really <laughs> uh, like out there. And he, and he goes, yeah. And he's 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 your age, and he's he's multi-tal multi instrumentalist, talented kid. And I go, wow, this is nuts. What's gonna happen here? He goes, well, there's interest in him from a couple of different record labels at this time. We're trying to figure out which label to sign him to and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, look, look, you know, I'm highly interested in this. So when he is ready to form a band, let me know. Great. I'd love to meet him. So that's how that went. You know, you fast forward to from this was like probably winter of 77, maybe or late early winter, like about December, November, something like that here. And then fast forward to about late September of 78, the first album had already been out, released. He was he had the whole band together, except for one more keyboard player and he needed to keep auditioning people. And that's when I heard through the grapevine, still looking because he had one guy in mind that he wanted, so I wasn't getting my turn to
1: keep oh, no. audition.
0: And the other guy backed away, or, or Prince decided against him, I guess, whether he, I can't remember the exact story. And so the door opened up, and that's when I called Bobby and Owen Hustney. And I said, I said, guys, I, I've been wanting to get in and audition or at least meet him. Can I get in? And they go, well, it's fine. We'll see. <laughs> we no, ask him." Okay. You know. So then a few days later, I get a call. Yeah, you're welcome to come out and meet him and audition. So the rest is history
1: okay. from there. Wow. Good story. And um, yeah, tell me what your rig was at that point. Which keyboards were you playing?
0: Oh, boy, the the starter rig was some gear that he already had because Warner Brothers gave him the budget for some of the synthesizers he used on the album, which was the old uh, Oberheim 4 voice. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, SEM module units. He had had two of those, one for me and one for Gail Chapman, who was the other keyboardist at the time. And then I had my uh, Fender Rhodes that I brought in. My mini Moog. Um, did I bring another synthesizer? I think that was it. I just brought my Rhodes and my mini Moog. Then we had the Oberheim. He had a clavinet, honer clavinet, and a ARP, ARP Pro Soloist. Oh, was in the arsenal. Okay. And then, and then I think we had a uh, an ARP string. Oh, so yeah, the yeah. old, yeah. the old Selena the old Selena yeah, Selena. machine.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had all that for me, and then and then Gail had a, a four voice, and she had also had a couple other keyboards. I can't recall, maybe another Rhodes or something else. Okay, so that was the first rigs. For the very first year, and then as time went on, uh, we kept evolving with it. any of the latest stuff. Mm. You know, anytime Oberheim came out with a new machine, we got it immediately. So we, then we went to the OBX, then we went to the OBXA, and then yeah. to the OB8, and then we had the DX7. And I brought in a memory mode, and, and then you know, then we got the Yamaha CP70 electric grands. Did you never go uh, down the, the
1: Did you never go down the Roland or Korg route at all ever?
0: uh not much at that time we just did we just were doing like uh i remember we had the arp omnis the, the omni one and then the omni two which were used on the dirty mind album yeah yeah and some other stuff the, the song 1999 the keyboards on that were primarily the arp omni two. Right, right and then you and then i may have had some oberheim on there i don't know if you layered it on top or not but uh I know that that's what that that was involved there. So you know, later he got into the Fairlight uh, machine, the CMI, Fairlight CMI. Yeah, we had one. Uh, of them. Used it. A, yeah, they're they're <laughs> cantankerous beasts. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. And, and and try using it live sometime with the with the, your tech off the side loading those big sloppy discs into so that they're loaded <laughs> in time <laughs> for the song. Later, we sampled all that stuff yeah. into. Rack mount samplers for stage use, so that they they would lo- on hard drive, so they would load quickly. Uh, but yeah, there's all these technical things that kept changing over time. And of course, you know Prince was one of the first adopters of the Lin LM1 drum machine.
1: Well, and one of the no, early. I need to, yeah. I need to talk to you about that. Did you ever do any uh, Lynn programming? Because with early Hem um, 17, I mean Penthouse and Pavement, our first album with that we had one of the first Lin machines in in the uk and it was one of the first popular albums that used used the lin in the uk yeah but,
0: uh, mm-hmm. did
1: you get involved in rhythm programming at all
0: no not with him only only when i was out of the group and started to pro well i was i shouldn't say that i was programming drum machines probably starting around 85 i got some of my own stuff in my little home rig set up and i was doing it there but not for prints right 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 and i, and I was and i did not buy lens i was buying oberheim and cord drum machines and you know different and rolling drum machines and you know stuff like that yeah
1: yeah yeah have you ever um while you were doing all this stuff with Prince did you was that exclusively what you did did you have side projects did you have a secret like solo album that you were working on or anything like that no
0: no no at that time um it was just I was just beholden to Prince I was on you know on call all the time and uh, even when we weren't in the studio he had us on retainer or not on tour he had us doing stuff so i i i just um i was doing writing with some other people at that time just trying to play songs possibly with other artists if you could if you could get it um that was our the only thing i was focused on in the mid to late 80s was just you know doing that and then i was always trying to throw ideas at prince yeah yeah, yeah. i'd say hey what do you think of this chord progression or this riff or, or we'd be jamming and i'd say what do you think it is? so anything he took from me was usually musical and it was at a sound check or me starting to jam on something i had an idea on and and he would he would uh, always begin rehearsals with a jam session right and he would he would either throw stuff at us to try from a song he was working on or just trying to riff off his stuff on the spot you know, so there, there was always that going on to to, to try and hunt and find ideas yeah, to yeah,
1: work yeah, off yeah. Well, he's a he's a, um, a a a brilliant mind, musical mind, but he's also a magpie as well, I think. And uh, oh
0: yeah, oh yeah.
1: I mean, I was working on producing Terence Trent D'Arby's first album, and I got this call one day, and it was Prince's office, and Prince had heard that we were working. He'd heard on the grapevine about Terence, and. Uh, his office called up and said, uh, "Prince was wondering if you could send send him all Terence's demos." <laughs> going really? Okay, that's not going to happen. Number one. Uh... <laughs>
0: what was his? What was behind that? Why did he well, want to Well, I just
1: thought he wanted to check out the opposition.
0: Possibly, I don't know. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow, interesting. But anyway, interesting. you.
1: You, uh, you obviously were around for a long time when Prince was working his way through some of the most beautiful women he could, he, he could work with, really. Um, and I've got a question for you, which I'm hoping isn't inappropriate. I, I, I was just wondering what, who, who you felt was the most talented or beautiful or, of, the, of Prince's women? I've got a reason for asking this, by the way. This is not just some kind of um, lascivious kind of idea. I'm just, I, I, I'm just curious.
0: From a looks and talent uh, perspective, you want me to try to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say which one I felt was.
1: Which my one favorite. do you think was the biggest star? I suppose, or Well,
0: I would say Sheena Easton when he collaborated with her. For sure, you know, and then and then of course when, when he did the Manic Monday for the Bengals, that was a big hit. Um I really uh love Jill Jones's work with him.
1: Right, okay. Um, well, stop stop I'll stop you there. Cause I I mm-hmm. work I worked with Jill Jones. He uh, Oh wow he, yeah, he sent Jill over to the UK to work with me to produce producer. oh nice. Uh, yeah. And, I didn't know that. Uh, and, okay. and and to one of one of the songs he gave her one of his songs called um, that had not been released previously called For Lust, which I think uh-huh. has actually been released in the Vault series now. Um, right. And um, it was an amazing song, and I thought, oh God, this is going to be a huge hit in America. And he never released it in there, and I was so pissed off. Um, but Jill, what a beautiful—I mean, just you know—visually a, a very striking woman. Striking. Uh, yeah. But, a, but a you know, a real talent as well. And, you know, I yeah. remember I was walking around the center of London with her and we were just hanging out in Soho and what have you. And she was a head turner, you know, people would look yeah. at her. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought she was great. Yeah. Uh, and the other yeah. thing was Sheena Easton, you know, yeah. she won a talent contest in, uh, in the UK. Uh, to uh, yeah. and she was just like a really shy school girl, and um, so when she turned up with Prince, we're going, What the hell's gone? What the hell has happened here? You know, she was a really kind of frumpy, shy school girl, anyway. There you go,
0: yeah. And then she and then she, you know, butted right into uh, yeah, something else, like know? a
1: butterfly, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but he had some amazingly beautiful women. I was always very impressed with that. And um, so, um, so you must have some interest. Oh, yeah, Rick James. Tell us about Rick James because you uh, did some stuff with him, right? No.
0: Well, he didn't really uh, work with Rick other than the the one tour that we did in late '79 into 1980. We we did like six months. On on his Fire It Up tour, that's it, which which really in, in, introduced us to that audience of uh, people that were were loving Rick at that time, and uh, you know we 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 did quite well on that tour, and and, and Rick was concerned that we were kind of you know competing with him a little too hard <laughs> on stage. Oh, I bet, <laughs> but I don't know. You know, I mean, we weren't trying. I mean, it's just like well, we're both, we're all great we're all talented, but let's just have fun, you know. But there was some rivalry kind of going on there, apparently, in the background. But, um, yeah, Rick Rick is uh, he's something else. I watched the documentary about his life uh, last year, the one that came out on Showtime. It was really amazing, and I learned so much about him that I didn't really know. And, again, another brilliant musical mind like Prince. And um, Claude, oh, as we yeah. all are human yeah. being, you know, and I don't fault them for anything. We, you know, substances get involved, you know, get into our bodies at times because we need them. Mm-hmm. But he, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad that he, uh, had difficulty with that over time. But, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, he, he was a, a brilliant, uh, songwriter though, in my opinion.
1: Yo oh, absolutely. I mean, um uh and did you ever did you ever have uh, Tina Marie as a guest at any point on the show? Because I love the work you did with her.
0: I don't know. No, I don't think so. Oh,
1: I don't I think, think so. I love that fire and desire stuff and all that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, right, where are we then? So I'm um, looking at your your personal influences. Tell, let's talk about that. I mean, your musical influences
0: mm, okay so so growing up in a in a home uh, with parents who uh were in the arts themselves as actors oh and and music- and musical too uh in many ways uh, both my parents uh, dabbled in the piano a little and my mom and dad, but they they weren't musicians per se that played regularly they just did it for fun. And uh, so they introduced me to music, obviously, in theater, very young age, early. And, and one of my first earliest memories at the age of maybe three or four, I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it's probably more like three. Uh, they both were in this comedy called Three Men on a Horse being performed at, at what would later be the high school I went to in St. Louis Park. They were, my father was the head of the St. Louis Park Community Theater at that time right so he he not only directed the play but was one of the leading roles in this three men on a horse on a horse and my my mom was in there so i'm in the front row with a babysitter seeing my parents and at one point i said hey what are you guys doing up there you know (laughs) i think i yelled something (laughs) up to them you know i didn't know any better so they just ignored me and um uh, regardless of that so i was i i had all that cultural input throughout my childhood which was instrumental in my development and then by the time I was about seven or six maybe uh they said hey do you want to take some piano lessons because my older brother at the time was already studying he was about three three uh, school grades ahead of me and and that was just that I just have one older brother so he was playing piano and I thought that was cool so yeah I should uh take a stab at it then they had me studying piano from the time i was about six and uh with classical teachings at first yeah. and then by the time i was about 14 uh i was i mean by the time i was 12 i was already playing in a rock band comprised of my buddies in the neighborhood we we had all these kids that were wanting to play so we had a band what, 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 sorry, a what, were, they called?
1: what were they called
0: oh that 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 band was called odella spelled o-d-e-l-l-a don't ask me what it means because it doesn't mean anything i don't i I think our guitar player came up with that and it was like a take on a french word but spelled in an english uh spelling which meant beyond he said it's it's odella you know what i mean okay okay great (laughs) we'll go with it odella so uh that was it. I remember printing up the business cards in my seventh grade shop class. But <laughs> <laughs> so we started playing, you know, locally around junior highs and battle the bands and do all this stuff, junior high dances in high school. So that that band went all the way through my senior year of high school from the time I was about 12 and a half through the time I was 18. And, and then uh, I brought the drummer with me into another group after that right after high school and then he moved on to some other group that from there and and then you know i just played in some local bands touring around the midwest until i was about 20 and then that's when i met prince but uh so i i did theater i did theater i did plays growing up school plays musicals regular acting and then playing in that band and and uh, the music in in our household was just totally varied. I mean, we listened to everything from classical to jazz to Broadway to you know, rock and pop, everything that was happening in that era and before. And so, uh, yeah. In right. fact, I, I bought I bought I bought Sergeant Pepper when I was nine, the day it came out because I was a massive. Uh, Beatles and, and British Invasion fan by wow. them. And, you know, of course, I, I, I watched the Beatles debut on Ed Sullivan's show when I was six. And I was just, I was like mesmerized. Whoa. Mesmerized. This is amazing. This is the best music I've heard yet so far, you know, for pop music around here. So uh, that was it. I mean, I was hooked. And at that time, <laughs> I I was I took a very uh high interest at a young age in the music business at that time. Yeah oh, cool. and wanting to be be like that. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to emulate that. And theater. I was way into theater. Definitely wanted to be an actor at one point. I didn't really pursue it though after uh, a while and said, eh, you know, yeah. not for me. I'd you rather have, be a musician.
1: Huh? you have the voice though for it. I mean you've got a very uh beautifully resonant kind of Tombrook to your voice
0: oh well well thank you i i you know the company i work for now is is tapping me to do a video blog much like you're doing yeah i, I don't know if miles told you that so i just did my first test uh, interview last week and it went really well so Good. i'm excited about that i'm excited yeah, yeah. about that
1: yeah yeah and so uh how come you're so funky
0: You know, I, I I don't know. I think it just I adapted to it because in the early years of playing, of course, we were we weren't playing a lot of funk in the bands. The cover tunes we were doing were more like, you know, we're we're gonna play Boston now and we're gonna play uh Elton John and the Beatles yes. and we're gonna do we're gonna do all the, you know, we're gonna play Aerosmith or whatever. You know, you name anything, Led Zeppelin. We were doing all that stuff, you know, David Bowie, you know so there wasn't any really a lot of funk. And then when I joined this other cover band in, in uh, 77 after the, the first one, um, they, they wanted to do all the RB pop stuff. So we, so I started learning Stevie wonder and, and then of course, uh, any other kind of funky stuff they want to do i can't remember everything we were doing but i know that right in that era is when saturday night fever came out so we had to learn the whole saturday night fever soundtrack yes. to accommodate it's a great soundtrack, to- and it's oh it's the fabulous it's i i love that records to this day still so it's an excellent record uh huge so yeah so we got into that that wasn't so funky as much as it was disco oriented but it had it had the funk in it a little and then, you know, obviously, um, so then by then, uh, not too long after that, of course, I, I worked with Prince. And so it, it just really, I just adapted because uh, I technically was adept at adapting to any style at that point of music and playing it.
1: Interesting.
0: And enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed all those genres, you know.
1: It's very, um, important to be adaptable. I, I always tell my, uh, students, um, who I teach songwriting mm-hmm. production, it's probably the most critical, um, asset you can have is your adaptability and your resourcefulness. And you are clearly that kind of guy. And, uh, so that's why you've done so well over the years, you know. Um, so, um, Right, where are we? Uh, Nineteen ninety nine. Love that album. Sheena Easton talked about that. Computer Blue. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, Computer Blue. That's an interesting uh, piece of work. Can uh, tell us about that. I, I, I'm curious about that.
0: Well, that that song. Uh, I'm the one who uh, really. During a, a sound check jam at a gig with Prince, um, I I started something on the bass of the Oberheim, like a rhythm. We were playing, and then it's playing this part, and then he latched onto that, and then he he took it and built a song around it. Um, Wendy and Lisa came in the studio, contributed to it. His the the bridge melody line and chordal structure was something that had been sitting around that. Prince's father had written when it goes into that whole instrumental bridge section. Really? So this was a collaborate. This was a collaboration of the five of us: Prince, myself, Lisa, Wendy, and Prince's father co-wrote that song. Prince's
1: father, Prince. oh, right? And I yeah. know that's that's another great tune uh, that you were involved in writing. Is that right?
0: Hmm. No? Where does it credit me on that? I don't. Where'd you I, see I don't that? Know,
1: don't argue about it. Just take the credit.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I said don't argue about it. No, no, I was it. not involved with that. Uh, uh you gonna... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I don't, want, I don't want to take the I only take credit where credit due, but but no, I'm uh, it's on, no, Wiki- it's I'm on not, Wikipedia I, I, I
1: think. I'm, I'm think sorry, it, say that
0: again. I think it's on Wikipedia.
1: Maybe. I don't know.
0: Oh, they made a mistake then. Yeah, made a mistake.
1: Oh, what a pity! What a pity. Um, So, uh, what? Right. So, tell me the story about how you, uh, how your costume came about.
0: Okay, Um, so this is the Rick James tour. We're on about the third night of the tour, and we're in Chicago. uh, And Prince, uh, at that time, or that time. I was not a doctor. I was a guy in a black and white striped jail suit, which I wore on American Bandstand for our television debut with with Dick Clark. And um, that was my idea to look like. I, I thought oh, I got to find something quirky. Prince wanted me to be this quirky character on stage, and I said, "Okay." So I, I picked out the, the the jail suit somewhere, I, I think I got it at an old costume shop and just bought it. You know, and um, He said, that looks great. I go, why'd you pick that? And I go, because it's black and white. It goes with the keyboard, black and white keys. And it kind of harkens back to the classic, you know, jailhouse rock era from the fifties with Elvis. And it's, I just wanted to bring it back. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I like that. Let's, let's go with it. So that's what we were, I was doing. And then Rick James had this song called Bustin' Out of L7 that he was doing on the show which is meaning busting out of a cell block in a jail L seven. Yeah. I'm on cell block L seven. I'm busting out. (laughs) So, (laughs) so he, he had uh, a satin black and white stripe outfit with really thick, like thick stripes. Mine were more like that. This was thick black and white, you know, picture this and the whole outfit. He comes out on stage to do busting out of L seven. And then the the front of it's velcroed together. So he goes, and he, Tears it off and he's bare chested, you know. During the song, you know, being Mr. Sexy, and Prince comes to me the next day and he says, "You know what? Rick has been wearing that jail suit on that song, and he's the headliner, and you're in a jail suit. I think you're going to have to change your your image, you know, because it's 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 overlapping with the headliner." I go, I go. So what? Who cares? No, no. I go. What did Rick did Rick come to you and tell you that, that Nick's the jail suit he goes no it's just me i just think it shouldn't be you shouldn't be you know wearing the same thing that he wears during a show and i went oh snap (laughs) (laughs) i'll go back then now what am i doing and he goes can i can i i don't know what to wear he goes well let's let's think about this did you have any other ideas back when you were trying to formulate this idea i said yeah I looked at a guy in a doctor's scrub suit, but it was kind of a powder blue look to it. I thought it was kind of boring just to be in a scrub suit, doctor suit. You know, he goes, "Yeah, but what if we get you like a stethoscope and a doctor (laughs) mask and like do make you look like a real doctor and put you on stage?" I go, "I go, ah,
1: this is my fate forever." Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't know. He goes. Let's try it. Let's try it with nothing to lose. I go. I go. Okay. So he sends our wardrobe gal out to a, you know, uniform shop in Chicago that afternoon. She gets all of the accessories and a scrub suit, and I become Dr. Fink that evening, full mask, bug eye <laughs> glasses, surgeon's cap. When you look at the when you look at the Dirty Mind album cover or, or the 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 picture of the band in the inner sleeve, that's me all covered up, looking like some weird oh. horror movie character, you know, the secret doctor, of yeah. the, the Doctor Finkelkraut, you know, or Doctor <laughs> Finkenstein, whatever you want to call me, and uh, and that was it. And then uh, there's a really another really funny story behind mm-hmm. this, which is Prince said, you know what? we're going to make you the painting doctor. I go, what do you mean the painting doctor? Because you, when I, when I, when I introduce you, you're going to have an artist easel up on stage and then you're going to have a paintbrush and you're going to act like you're painting when I introduce you. So I just pretend like you're painting. We'll give you some paint up there and you're doing drawing. And I went, I did the eyebrow went up like yeah, that. Yeah. And went, really, really. And, I go, okay. And you because, you know, he's my boss, you know, I didn't want to say, nah, that's terrible. At the time I was too afraid to say, no, I don't, th- I don't like it. I didn't like it. I thought it was weird. So I thought, okay, we'll try it. He goes, it'll be great. It'll be really weird. I go, okay. So he, the first night, the first few nights, the first show, you know, this went on for like three nights of touring with the, with the, with the spotlight hitting me, me acting like I'm painting and looking at the <laughs> audience, you know, going, hey, you doing? and and then, he, finally, he, after about three shows like that, he goes, "You know, Matt, I think you're right. That's not going to work. <laughs> That's not working. They're not. They don't get it. They go, well, okay, good.' Is there, I any, go, video, I gotta, is
1: there any video of
0: this? I don't know. There could be somewhere oh, in please. the archive. I don't know. I wish I had one." <laughs> So, I don't know, there could be pictures somewhere, who knows what's in the vault, I, I'd love to know if they had any video of that. I, he was videotaping all these shows back then, I'm sure, so we'll see. Anyway, <laughs> funny, uh, so and, so then, uh, I, I said, well, let me try something else tomorrow night, then. I got another idea to get to the audience and get them to react, you know. And what it was is they had a little camera and I took a flash photo of the audience because they were taking pictures of me and everybody, at the time they were introducing. So I just, boop, and they all just, Rah!"! you know, they love that. <laughs> so, so that for the rest of that tour, excuse me, I, I, I was taking pictures of the audience. I have all these pictures of audience shots from that.
1: That's from great. That. I love yeah. that. I must admit yeah. when, when I saw, um, Purple Rain, um, And I saw the live the live footage and I saw you performing on stage. I'm going, Why why is he wearing a doctor's outfit? I mean I I I like the name Doctor Think. I am that oh I get it, you know, and then I I kinda got it. But it wasn't immediately apparent. But it all kind of fitted in with the odd kind of nature of the kind of characters that were on stage, you know. And he always wanted that, right, I suppose.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: So um, and I, I like, I, I like that. And it's kind I think it's kind of influenced the way that we approach our live acts because we have two girl backing singers and we always say to them, we want you to be equal weight characters with, you know, Glenn who's singing or me behind the keyboards and doing backing vocals or whatever. We want everybody to have a character. It's really important. Yeah. Because people can relate to it. It gives variety of what people can look at. Otherwise, it's just like one of those really boring music programs on the television where you've got the lead singer and everybody else is wearing black just doing dance Mm -hmm. moves, and it's boring, right? Right. Anyway, so this has been an absolute joy, I have to say. I think We're nearing conclusion. Um, And uh, at the end of each of these uh, interviews, I always ask people these stupid kind of pop magazine questions because I think did you
0: get enough of your question? Did you get enough of your questions in so far? Oh yeah. Did you get enough? In? Okay, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah. yeah. So there's some more coming up now. Don't, don't worry. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow.
1: So, um, what's your favorite film? Really?
0: You have, to, you're going to ask me that. Oh my God. Oh, favorite film, favorite film. You know, I really, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I like great science fiction. So, you know, um, you know, well, I don't know. I, you know, I really like the Godfather series a lot. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. That's one of my favorites for sure. And, and of course, all the Star Wars stuff, and Star Trek, and any, any other real, you know, like Alien. You know, the <laughs> earliest the first Alien film was. Really oh yeah, great. yeah,
1: that was just. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you want to go back to like really uh vintage, like older stuff, I mean, I, I like anything that's Humphrey Bogart or you know, uh, Cary Grant. You know, all the all the movie greats, Gary Cooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all that, all those classic films. I, I love all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, Okay, Charlie well, Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. Charlie oh, Chaplin. One of my yeah. favorites. One of my yeah, favorites. Absolutely.
1: Sorry. Absolutely. Um, favorite book.
0: Favorite book. Um, let's see. I I I like uh, like like the Dune series. Mm. Frank Herbert. You know, all that, all that stuff. Sci-fi. Fantasy. Lord Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah.
1: Cool. And uh, favorite TV show? It could be a box set or it could be old, new, didn't make any difference. Series, individual show.
0: That's tough. There's too much content out there these days. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of what I liked growing up, you know, those classic shows, um, some of my favorite stuff of that era. Let me think. Let me I think
1: loved it. Well, The Outer Limits was my favorite from that
0: period. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Definitely, yeah, one of my favorite. Twilight Zone, all that yeah. stuff. Good, I'm glad you brought that because those are – I love The Twilight Zone and Outer Limits. Uh you ever watch One Step Beyond?
1: No, what's that?
0: That's another Twilight zone oh,
1: thing right. that was
0: out in the, in the late 50s. I liked all that stuff growing up. Uh, scared the crap out of me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> when you're little, because you're that, watching that, and was, the, the that, vibe was scary.
1: Yeah, that, 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 I think the very first episode with the radio monster of The Outer yeah. Limits frightened yep. the living bejesus out of me, I have to say. Um, now,
0: of course, we got hooked on. You know, uh, I'm sorry, you're saying on the interrupt. No no no, 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 no. No, I love. We loved Game of Thrones when that came out. We we watched all of that. and That was great to to enjoy. Um, boy, there's a number of things. I'm yeah. sure I can't think of them all at the moment. It's That's tough because right. to to there's talk. so much to pick from. Yeah, yeah. It's all right.
1: So, um, other musical artists or composers. Or, yeah, just one or two, you know. I know there's millions. You're eclectic like me, so.
0: Yeah, well, growing up, um, my major influences were all the, the, you know, the pop artists of those of that time, in particular, you know, the, the British Invasion Acts that came over to the U.S. at that time, including, you know, the big one, the Beatles. Yeah. And and then, and then for for bob dylan a big bob dylan fan and then um like l- later on like when, when emerson lake and palmer and yes and genesis and those prog rock groups came out i was hooked on that Me too. quite a bit yeah yeah, so so those were big influences, and then of course all of the the great uh, fusion jazz artists like Herbie Hancock and Chick and, yeah. and uh, um, jazz pianists like Bill Evans and people like that, you know. Right, McCoy, okay. McCoy Tyner, McCoy Tyner, uh, McCoy Tyner,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Which of your own work,
0: Oscar Peterson? Okay, go ahead.
1: Which of your own work are you most proud of?
0: Oh, I would say um, right now there's this female artist I've been working with by the name of Michelle Rose. She's on YouTube, Michelle Rose Music. Uh, she's local. She just graduated from Boston, Berklee School of Music last uh, summer. And um, we've been collaborating since about late 2017 and I've watched her grow and I'm really happy with that, a lot of that stuff. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Um, for, uh, far as recent, or far as recent material. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, sure. Um, if you weren't a musician, mm-hmm. what, do you th- what do you think might have been an alternative career for you?
0: I probably would have pursued acting
1: yeah i can see that yeah you have a certain gravitas yeah <laughs> um yeah, <thanks. laughs> um and finally no no not finally next but one um do you have uh any major kind of unfulfilled ambitions
0: uh yeah yeah i do definitely um doing more um, film soundtrack work
1: me too exactly the same
0: yeah yeah and i and i'm i've just you know i had some things occasionally over the years that i get in people ask me to write something for but a full-on score for a film i haven't really gotten into that uh, i did a short film last year that's getting some interesting recognition but uh, is only like five minutes long, where I did the music for that, and it was it was about a, it was about the the pandemic. It was about healthcare. It was called it's called Dear Healthcare Worker, and it's it was actually wow. acted by a real healthcare worker, and 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 being and what it was like to be on the front lines during the pandemic wow. and all that. So I did some of the music for the all the music for that, and then um, <clears throat> right now a friend of mine in New York is working on a Netflix documentary. Also medical based about about the whole workings at a hospital and the doctors and all that stuff and and I just sent him a big folder of material for them to possibly draw from to put in scenes and stuff. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, stuff I either wrote or collaborated with over the years with different people. Oh, great. Um, okay. And I said, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, carry on, please. So I no, so I get a, I get occasional work like that these days, yeah. and I, I'd like to do more. Yeah.
1: Me too. Um, yeah. And finally, what's your favorite synth?
0: My favorite synth?
1: Yeah.
0: My favorite synthesizer. Probably uh, from for, for a polyphonic machine. Def, definitely anything from Oberheim, because that's what we used primarily, and I always felt that they they were unique. My second one would be probably the memory moog or mini moog anything in the yeah. moog uh exactly. place and then and then anything that was anything analog that's current or previous and my you know the the moog modular or yeah uh, um, anything fat analog stuff these days it's my yeah. my favorite right now
1: there's no contest between that and the Digital simulations. I mean, the, the real machines right. would sound much better always.
0: Right. Just just, just like how I, I, I find two inch audio tape to still sound it does amazing compared to the digital stuff too. Tape saturation. It's just more. It, it's just more three D and more richer and wider sounding to me. It's just yeah. it, it's just yeah. really. Uh, yeah. Nothing like that. Still, I wish we. I, I wish that you know. I think some of the Pro Tools plugins have caught up more with that, emulating that. It's still not the same, though.
1: No, it's not. It's never the
0: same. Yeah, yeah.
1: So what a joy it's been talking to you. This is just absolutely. It feels like we've been talking for twenty minutes, and it's like oh, yeah, yeah, way over an hour. So thank you so much, and um, I'm hoping to see you perform live one day. Who knows? Huh. You're doing your, uh, the, the, um, the, um, you're doing the, the purple experience, is it? The, the,
0: you do live. No, no, I, 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 I stopped doing that uh, in late 2016, right before the revolution reunited. All oh, right. To go on tour. So we, so we've been touring, yeah. So I, I, I couldn't do both. Uh, and I, I didn't want to do both, but you know. It so, was uh, it wasn't easy to do anyway, so yeah. Are you so we doing, just did that. Did that. Yeah, ahead. are
1: you doing? Are you doing the? Um, are, are you doing the uh, revolution then?
0: Uh,
1: touring life.
0: Well, we were until the pandemic hit, and we had we had a, J- a J- Japanese uh, tour and another European tour for the summer of 2020 was supposed to happen, and then it it was completely postponed. And then 2021, that was still too difficult to do anything because the pandemic was still going strong. So, we pretty much pushed everything off to whenever, and we have no idea when we'll return to do any live shows yet. We just oh, don't know. Well, you got to. We will hopefully. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> I, I, I have several offers on the table right now to do some stuff too with other people, but yeah, yeah. I said I'm not going anywhere until the pandemic is more. Yeah. Yeah, in, more in control and, yeah. and and i and we know that whatever vaccines we're taking are going to work against whatever's happening you know yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. And i know i know so many people who have gotten sick with the breakthrough infections including wendy last really august got a breakthrough infection she had one she got through it okay but she said it wasn't fun and i know a lot of people around me right now i'm working with i'm actually working on a project uh with um uh, this guy who I work with here in Minneapolis who who owns a tech company here called ADX Labs. And he, I've known him for years. He's also a musician and he's doing a record again, which I, I worked with him back in 04 and 05 to produce his record back then. He's doing another album now. So we're, we're doing that soon. And, um, the drummer had a nasty breakthrough infection. He was tr- triple vaxxed, mm-hmm. but he's, you know, and he's in, he's in his mid sixties like we all are the, 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 in that band and uh, it wasn't easy. And then I know other people who are my age who say, well, I barely felt it, but yeah, I had a breakthrough infection. It wasn't bad. And then younger people who are in their thirties and forties who have a hard time with it. It just depends on your immune system and how you are with it. And and of course, unfortunately, I've known people who who caught it and didn't make it.
1: Yeah, it's true. And
0: very, very distressing. Yeah. And um, yeah.
1: Oh, let's. Uh, do you know any jokes?
0: <laughs> oh God, I, I I heard a really nasty one the other day, but I haven't practiced to tell it, so I can't tell it. Uh-oh. I'm sorry, I don't remember Uh-oh. it well. I'm bad. I'm not a, That's the one thing. I'm not a great joke teller. Yeah. I have to really work at that.
1: I am I, I'm uh, I, I, I'm. Uh, just want to finish on a smile, you know. I yeah,
0: yeah. I'm sorry. I'm
1: terrible. I'm terrible at jokes as well, so don't worry about it. Yeah, so. I'm sorry. Listen, man. Great to meet you. Hopefully, see you perform yes. one day. And um, yeah, stay in touch.
0: I will, and you know, hopefully, in the future, as we get my my uh, show going, we'll have you on.
1: Oh yeah, as well. Please,
0: definitely up for okay. that. Okay. All right, man. All right, Martin.
1: Thanks so Thank much. Thank you.
0: Okay,
1: bye-bye. Yeah, take, take care. Take you care. too. Bye. Bye. Yeah. That was Matt Fink, the doctor. Dr. Fink. I love saying that. Fink. It's a good word, isn't it? Um, from The Revolution and the MPG, briefly. He's also played with The Time, Lip Sync. Fantasy 6, P. Diddy, um, the Rembrandts, Jill Jones, Mavis Staples. He's won three Grammys, three American Music Awards. Uh, he's on Purple Rain Film soundtrack. Uh, it was with the revolution from 78 to 90. It's a long time. Um, he had a band called, uh, or had an album out called Ultrasound not so long ago, uh, which is worth checking out. Yeah, he was around when all those great things were being made. He was part of the whole influence around Prince when he said every time they started um rehearsals, as he mentioned, they start with a jam. And so, of course, when he's doing a jam, all sorts of ideas emerge. Most of it's rubbish or at least not very focused, but sometimes that ran- randomness leads to um uh, inspiring uh, composition. So... I would say, uh, in his situation, that you you know he was an inspiration for quite a lot of things. Even though even if Prince took all the credit for most of it, um, but to be fair to Prince, he gave, he, he, he gave Matt quite a lot of credits. Um, I think he was a fair-minded person anyway. But Matt's lovely, uh, as you can hear. We've got so many emails that we need to catch up on that we decided on a cunning plan. Uh, we're going to read out about a quarter of an hour's worth. Uh, as a special bonus feature at the end of every episode after the music finishes at the end of the episode. So if you keep tuned in, it's a bit like that thing where after the credits in films, you know, you get the you get the bonus stuff at the end if you can be bothered sitting in the cinema for another 10 minutes. It's that kind of thing. So, um but please do have a listen to them because you might be, might be your email on them. Big shout-out to SJM Concerts for continuing to support the podcast, uh, sponsor the podcast. Um, they're a great company. They represent a load of uh, great artists in this country and putting on concerts. We all need entertainment nowadays. Thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. If you have ideas for the programme... Praise, grumbles, ideas for sections for the program, ideas for guests, of course. Uh, feel free to email me on electronically martin. that's martin with a Y, at gmail.com. And I will endeavor to um, read them out and respond to them. I'm way behind at the moment. Uh, but if there's anything um, particularly relevant that is time sensitive, like a guest idea that you've got a contact for, or stuff like that, then I will endeavour to bring those to the front of the queue um, so that we can continue finding the best guests for you to hear um, on this programme. So, next week, another interesting guest. I hope more than interesting. Astounding. Bye! From um, Ben Tobin. Hi Martin, congratulations on the podcast, they are very interesting. With regard to future podcasts, how about Depeche Mode's Martin Gore, and another interesting one, Bill Drummond. I really would like to get Bill Drummond on. I know a few people who know him, I've never met him myself. Good idea, Ben, thank you. Uh, John Lemoreau. Hi Martin, you probably saw we released your episode of the podcast last night. So their podcast, the hustle. Um, no. We don't need that one. Ivan Adcock. This has got to be a joke name. Uh Ivan. Okay. Loving the pods as I listen in the car to to and from work. I must say I was expecting Steve it malander not malander da, 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 to be a bit more scary than he is what a top bloke he's absolutely down to earth he's great um it doesn't uh kind of sit with the uh is he, it's kind of slightly demonic uh looking kind of performance I'm halfway through the Will Gregory and Adrian Utley episode, so I don't know if you've yet realised that when they referenced the Devo track Joko Homo," they thought you thought they said "Yoko Ono," <laughs> and they were just too polite to correct you. Oh, I'm not surprised. Anyway, I'm not in any way taking the piss out of a project that's left in my mood, and on to suggestions for guests. How about Hannah Peel? Done it. and Fortet I quite like Fortet also Benj how about Matt Johnson yeah I like Matt Johnson thank you Ivy Uh, Adrian Sanchez hello Martin enjoying the podcast especially your interview with Nando Metre about his take on Margaret Thatcher it had me laughing so much that my sons were looking at me strange I never heard a take on on an historical person before like that being an American and a child of the 70s and 80s found it very interesting and humorous. I don't want to get started on Huggy's interview. That's another letter. Anyway, just finished Will Gregory and Adrian Utley. you are right. The time goes fast when great convers with when great conversations with friends. Daniel Miller was my highlight and I had to listen to it twice. Just some suggestions, hmm, for future guests from Mexico. Camilo Lara, known as the Mexican Mexican Institute of Sound. Alex Sintek, or Bostich, or, and and Fussible from Nortech. I think you're making these names up. From Nortech Collective. Oh, now you've added Collective, it sounds real. That's just to name a few. Off to start Gerald Casale interviews. Thank you, Adrian. <clears throat> Thank you, Adrian. Afternoon, Martin. Firstly, can I say what a revelation? Oh, this is from Dave Johnson, by the way. Your podcast to be allowing me to listen to the lives of these performers and artists laid on the table by your interview and technique. Thank you. I'll admit to not knowing a lot about you, <laughs> except that you'd done a bit of work with him. A bit of work with M17? How about 30 years. Human League, three years. And Mr. Vince Clark, 20 years. I'm a 49 year old, seem to be 50. Fan of all kinds of music, but predominantly Erasure, Depeche Mode, Gary Newman. Etc. Skipping some of this. First serious date with the missus was to watch Newman in Southampton on the Pure Tour, where she thought he'd come out in a suit and sing Cars. What a night. She hated it and sees him and mode as has-beens. I let her off as she's a Madonna fan. Well, I can honestly say that... um, I don't know about Depeche Mode because I've never really been a massive fan. But uh, Gary Newman, I've always had respect for. And uh, he's definitely not has been. I digress. Thank you so much for opening Myers to the like of Sanandametreya. I'll seek out more of his work for sure. Visconti interview was brilliant, as was Niall Rogers, Maurice Hayes, Daniel Miller, Newman and Clark. Go without saying. Suggestions for future guests. Alan Wilder. Martin Gore, David Gahan, Fletch, Trent Reznor, Nick Kershaw, Dunnick. Um, All good ideas. Thank you, Dave. David Winter. Hi, Martin. Been enjoying the podcast. Came across it with the Newman interview. and Now I've listened to and enjoyed all of them. Someone who I'd love to talk to is Chris Merrick Hughes drummer, songwriter, and a very talented producer. Also, any of the members from Japan. Many thanks. Have been like a bright light in a dark room here in Ireland. Dave Winter, thank you. Uh, I co-present a show on Ram FM 80s. Could you do a jingle? Okay. Hi, this is Martin Ware from hem 17. You're listening to Wayne and Dave on Ram FM 80s Hit Radio. How about that? Jay Walters. Justin Walters. Uh, Your shows are on my calendar with religious fervour, and I have not missed one since you started your podcast. Been a fan of your work since the 80s, etc., etc. Electronic music. These and more electronic acts were on the radio here in Newcastle, Australia, via 2NXAM. They played everything back in the day. Can I suggest uh, Tom Ellard from Severed Heads? Yeah, uh, several other people have mentioned that. <clears throat> Shane King. Martin, I am unbelievably excited that you have Telex on your podcast. Telex are o- overlooked and underappreciated and pioneers in electropop. I'm greatly enjoying the podcast. Between Newman Casali, Fry, Dolby and Telex, you've already hit many of my musical heroes. As a fan of your music and now your podcast, I want to say thank you for everything. Thank you, Shane. It means a lot. Thomas Mulcahy. Hi, Martin. Really enjoying your podcast to hear Joe Callis was especially a treat. I had recently discovered his role in Dare while reading back issues of Electronics and Music Maker. Uh, I have a criticism of the criticisms you've been receiving. I can understand why people m- might say you talk too much. It's funny. I thought so too at first. But I also noticed that it puts your interviewees more at ease. Uh, that's the idea. Sometimes you ask a question and then excitedly answer it yourself. We well, you might not get to hear what the interviewer thought about that particular question in depth. But I noticed that that usually takes a turn for the more interesting. I think it's great that you improvise... Well, keep doing it. I think it works. Um, You know, I'm not trying to be uh, self-centred. It's just meant to be more kind of two equals talking to each other in an excited and engaged, uh, emotionally engaged conversation. Um, And that's what I'm trying to achieve. And that involves me... Um, taking a major role in, in, in the kind of discussion, really. It's a discussion rather than an interview. <clears throat> That's the way of putting it, I think. <coughs> if, As I've said before, if people, if it's not to people's tastes, I won't take offence if you don't listen to it, but please don't try and put other people off. Um, thank you. Um, and it says, he says, I think it's great that you improvise. Uh, suggestions. Uh, he goes on to say, I'd "Like to hear more stuff as about publishing deals, songwriting, structure, synthesis." I think I might do an episode which is more technical. Um. Anyway, Thomas Mulkay, thank you. Scott Cole, loving the podcast. Suggestions. Juan Atkins, uh, Greg Broussard. Scott Kirkland from The Crystal Method. Dave Bascom. Flood. Ted Ottaviano, Book of Love. Hugh Padgham, No, I know of you. Chris Lowe, David Allen. P.S. If you are teddy bear, is Glenn Gregory Duke or psycho? Uh, Is Duke. Uh, Charles Martin from Victoria. I uh, wanted to say thank you um don't know if you remember you meet a lot of people my my wife and i spent some time together with you and glenn after the boom and show with the bf in october 2016 <clears throat> congratulations on the podcast uh course of the episode i believe michaely mentioned sparks i'm trying to get sparks but they're just not coming up with it anyway Um, best wishes to the band and everyone you get to work with Um, that's that thanks Charles Joe Callis episode this is from Hugh Darcy just heard the Joe Callis podcast thank you I've been a lifelong fan of Joe from the Rosillo days through to Shake and of course Human League Mark 2 brackets the less exciting one Um, that's him saying that not me my best mate's sister was Seymour Steen's PA back in the days of Sire Records when the Rosellos and the Ramones were on. Um, much underrated talent, great guitarist, songwriter, and all around good guy. Thank you for that, Hugh.